we've been talking about this focus of Jesus in the Bible. And I actually had a pastor recently shocked that I have been talking on a Sunday morning about each book of the Bible and where Jesus is found in each book, because that's like 66 books. That's going to require 66 weeks. How do you keep anybody's attention for that long on something like that? And, and I just, you know, the Lord is asking us to kind of step back from the shiny new object of the gospel that's largely been presented to try and keep and hold everybody's attention uh, in, the, in the gospel as we know it in our culture. And how many of you know God's doing something a little deeper than that now? He's really trying to draw us into an understanding of what true roots are in our faith. And so we've been in this journey now, and it's been incredible. It's been strengthening. The idea is not to just present inspiring messages but rather empowering messages. You can go online. We're all the way through the Old Testament, now into the New Testament, into the Corinthian church. Today we're going to talk about Jesus in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're nearly finished with these 66 books. It's been so rich for me personally just to grow, but the bottom line, you actually have the option now when you go and you read the book of Nehemiah, don't just read your Bible and kind of buzz through it. Take just a little bit of time, go to destinychristian.com, and listen to a brief message. You know, these messages are 30, 40 minutes max, and we give the history and context of the book, how Jesus is uniquely revealed in each one, and we want to continue and pick back up with that now uh, with what I believe to be just a very strong word from God for us this morning. We want to empower you to be disciples. How many of you want to be more than just a consumer that gets attracted to show up to a church to be a part of the religious order of the day? Come on. We should be true disciples seeking after God, digging in to more of what God has in store. Jesus, actually, my motivation behind all of this as I began to talk to our leadership team was John chapter 5, verse 39, where Jesus says, the scriptures testify about me. Jesus said, the Bible speaks of Jesus. So that was before the New Testament was written. We know the New Testament speaks of Jesus, but he's referencing the Old Testament. So it's wonderful to see how he's been clearly revealed, the Old Testament, richly furnished and dimly lit. And so we've been illuminating different components of that. Today, as we look at uh, 1 Corinthians, what we're going to see, Corinthians, both first and second, reveal Jesus as the second Adam. There's a verse of Scripture in there specifically referencing Jesus as the second Adam. And so 1 Corinthians reveals Jesus as the second Adam who conquers our sin when we cooperate with God's Word. Jesus conquers our sin when we cooperate with God's Word. So the title today is Behave Yourself. Just tell your neighbor. Go ahead. Tell him. Behave yourself. <clears throat> Behave yourself. My question as we kind of launch into this, is very simple, and I want you to think about this question. What's your answer, yes or no? Are you, raise your hand if I'm talking to you, okay, that's all of us, raise your hand if I'm talking to you, you, that's you sitting there, you got a hair on your head, most of you. Um, are you a mature student of God's Word, yes or no? Are you a mature student of God's Word? And I'm going to go a little easier on you and, uh, and reel it in just a little because it makes it difficult sometimes. Because I'm going to ask you for an answer. I want you to raise your hand, and I'm going to soften it a little bit. I'm going to ask you this. Not if you had, 
not you say I'm mature, but are you a maturing student in God's Word? Are you reading the Bible and letting God mature your faith? Raise your hand if you are in that process, okay? Um, you know, that's a good vast majority. I think most of us in the room have heard the turn the page challenge enough that it's starting, you know, maybe to feel a little bit like, okay, we've heard it enough. I just want you to know you've not heard it enough because you cannot have enough exhortation and encouragement to be men and women of the Word. Something is awakened in your life. Paul told Timothy, I know you know this stuff, but I think it's right, as long as I'm in the tent of this body, to refresh your memory in these things, even though you know them and you are firmly established in them. Paul writes this to Timothy in Scripture, and so I think it is important that we camp on the things that are the vital elements. You know, you have organs, and then you have vital organs, right? And in the faith and in our walk with God, there are elements and there are vital elements. Let me just say loud and clear, your relationship with the author of the book by getting into the Word is absolutely an essential, vital part of your faith and your relationship with God in Christ Jesus. Everybody should really celebrate that, Ryan, declare in Jesus' name, we'll be men and women of the Word. We will be men and women of God's Word. So what we need to understand, first blank, when people become Christians, they don't at the same moment become nice. Uh Uh-huh. When people become Christians, they don't at the same moment become spiritually mature. We understand that. But when people become Christians, they don't at the same moment become nice. That's a process. See, salvation happens in an instant. I remember, uh, Tracy's asked me to stop telling how long we've been married because it makes us, makes her feel like we're, you know, married, like a long, we're older. And so I remember a few years back, I'll just leave it at that. I remember a few years back when Tracy and I stood at the altar and we said, I do. And uh, that moment of the wedding, I mean, I was so excited. There I was getting married to this drop-dead gorgeous girl. And when we did communion, I broke the cracker, and the, the cracker broke into three pieces. And the third piece of the cracker, whoop, up in the air, and went right down in her dress. <laughs> and I looked there, and I looked up, and the pastor was looking there, and we both were like, whoop. Uh, you know, we, get, we, we had to stop looking there. We found the cracker later, but that's a whole nother. And so here we were, we're communion and, and wedding, and like the wedding day was so amazing. <laughs> oh, she's going to get me for that. So on the wedding day, you know, just something about the wedding day, and then came the marriage, okay? There's a difference between the wedding and the marriage, The wedding, everybody celebrates, you're all dressed up, you look your finest, you're at your best, and the marriage is the real life stuff where you walk it out. See, wedding and marriage is a lot like salvation and lordship. Salvation is that moment, it happens in an instant, I do, yes Lord, I do. And then lordship takes the rest of our lives to learning to become disciples, and how important it is that we study and stay in the course of of our lives digging into the Word, allowing God to awaken something of deeper levels within our lives. I'm not sure why it's so surprising, but just because somebody becomes a Christian doesn't mean they automatically download in their spiritual software Christian Manners 101. Okay? I love hearing 
new Christians come into the faith and not know how to do the church thing. I, I love hearing cuss words when I hear testimonies about how God good's been. You know, I mean, I love when that happens. And, and, and come on, we all on a journey just trying to find our way. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, you probably shouldn't cuss when you tell your testimony. But, but those that are brand new, it's kind of cool. It's like hearing a little baby say something they shouldn't. You oh, don't say that. Don't say that. But then the adult is like, well, you better shut up. <laughs> so here's Paul dealing with these Corinthian people. They loved to party. They were unruly. They were sexually promiscuous. The idea of to Corinthianize was this whole promiscuous idea because their culture was so known for being such a sexualized culture and, and largely Corinthian uh, the Corinthian church and the Corinthian people, they were dealing with much of the same societal, cultural issues that you and I are. So we can really identify when we start to look into this. Here's Paul, Apostle Paul, who goes around to various communities, and he goes into the Corinthian city limits, and he begins to share Christ as was his custom. He would go to find the believers, the Jews in the, in the area, and start to share Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. Many of them believed. They were one to Christ. He began to rally them together for congregational gatherings, and the New Testament church was being born as a result of this mighty man of God that would show up in these cities under the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to make the sound of heaven. And you and I today are to call by God to make the sound of heaven. Why don't you make the sound of heaven right now? We just release the sound of heaven in the earth. Come on, it's an attracting sound. It's an awakening sound. There is something awakened even within our community when we begin to make the sound of heaven. We are called by God to make the sound of heaven in the earth. And so here's Paul. He begins to make the sound. People begin to gather. They then begin to call him their pastor. And for 18 months, Paul pastors these church in Corinthians. 18 months he devotes himself to the daily grind of pastoring, instructing. How many of you love instruction? Correcting. How many of you love instruction? Rebuking. How many of you love instruction? All the things that are required of pastoral care and leadership. A lot of people say, I'm just not into organized religion. You just got to understand church leaders in all of our lives, we all need them. We all need, pastors need church leaders that are helping oversee and watch them. I have church leaders in my life that, that apostle me, and they, they sometimes call me on things and, and challenge me. on. We all have to have that. And so the idea of just general faith without truly being engaged in a local family, it eliminates and alleviates something that Jesus said was really important. And that's that order and organization that comes from people that are overseeing and praying and seeking God. And I need somebody to get in my face every once in a while. How about you? And so that's love according to the body of Christ, the way God has called us to understand it and walk it out. And so here's Paul, and he's pastoring these Corinthian people. And, and pastoring kind of goes like this. And maybe you can help me today. And, and, and I ask, do you believe? And you say, Yes, we believe. Let's practice it. Do you believe? Yes, believe. Will you behave? Yes, we'll behave. Yes, we'll behave. <laughs> the title today, Behave Yourself. And so this is Paul's 18 months. Do you believe? Yes, we believe. Will you behave? Yes, we'll behave. Do you believe? Yes, you believe. Here's this part of the scripture. Do you believe? Yes, we believe. Will you behave? Yes, we'll behave. 
18 months goes by, and Paul has expanded the work of God in the earth in this community. And because of the apostolic nature of the sent one under the hand of God, it's time for him to leave. He turns it over into the hands of capable leaders to continue to perpetuate the work of God in that community. And he goes to start another work in another community. And before long, he begins getting reports that the church in Corinth is unraveling without his leadership. And these are the things that he hears about, and we read about them in Scripture, and I'm kind of giving you the, the piecemeal of the overall context of Corinthians, and then we're going to walk through a progression of verses together. The church in Corinth was suffering from selfish pursuits. They were very self-absorbed, very self-centered, selfish pursuits. They were struggling with divisions among them, a variety of divisions. They were struggling with immorality, the sexualized culture, all of these people that Paul had won into the church. He won all of their lifestyles and thinking into the church. And now God's trying to shape them up, and these things are starting to unravel them at the seams as a family. They began bickering, petty bickering, petty bickering that then led into bigger arguments and bickering and divisions. And literally then, Christians were suing Christians, filing lawsuits against Christians. I don't know if you even realize it or not, but part of our structure as a church family is that we ask you, once you step into a role of being a part of the Destiny family, that you not sue fellow family members of Destiny. And we actually provide opportunities for you to go through a process of both sides being heard and we establish a, a core central voice of, of a panel of people that would be qualified individuals that will help mediate your discrepancy or division and situation. And let me just say we've, we've done that now on several occasions and it has been a beautiful process and so far we have 100% reconciliation rate because people really do have something deep within their heart that longs for God to be Lord. It's a healthy thing that I'm talking about. You can't agree to violate your constitutional right, and that's not what I'm saying, but we as a family want to work together in a posture of unity. And so when those types of things have cropped up in times past, then suddenly we begin to pastor the situation. You, you, you track me. This is what Paul was having to address. And one, another big point uh, that, that they were reporting to Paul, worship became all of this self-serving attitude and this self-promoting perspective. Look at me. I have a spiritual gift here. Look at me. I can speak. And look at me. Look at me. I can worship like this. And nobody worships like I do. Look how I worship. And it's this self-promoting thing that was going on. And so Paul begins to address this, and I want us to walk through just a few of these portions of Scripture. We'll start 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the first chapter of his letter, verses 22 to 23, showing clearly a distinction and a division that he was having to address. The Jews demand signs, and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to have this conversation there are those who look for signs and wonders. And there are those who think all that emotional stuff is a bunch of nonsense. Give me some livable concepts and truths. You understand, that distinction, these two camps existed in the early church. They still exist today. 
There are people, because two weeks ago at the end of service, I invited people forward and everybody came forward and we prophesied and, and we experienced God in a wonderful way in that particular element, in that particular moment. People that would have walked out of that service and say, now that's church, boy, if we could just have church like that. And then they start chasing after the experience and they lose sight of the provider of the experience. And then those that say, I didn't really want to go up front, just leave me here, give me my handout, and give me the five points, and I want to think this thing through because I'm a lot more up here than I am up here, you know? And so you've got these different perspectives going, right? Different elements, different, this is what I like, this is not, that's not what I like, and that's what these people were fussing about. But let me just tell you something, this is not about what I like, and it's not about what you like, this is about what he likes. That's why Paul said this. And let me just say, what he doesn't like is when we divide into two camps and fight each other over what church ought to be. I hadn't been a pastor very long, and somebody in a pretty influential role, they're no longer here in the church, but they came up to me, and they made this statement, and, and it really hit me as a young pastor, just trying to give it my best, and, and, and this individual looked at me and said, I've not seen church done right since four pastors ago when Dale Gentry was the pastor here in the 1980s. What do you say to that? Okay. God bless you. Come on. Well, I mean, this whole thing, this is what he's saying. Some people are demanding signs and wonders, and some people are just looking for teaching and instruction like the Greeks would, but we preach Christ and Christ crucified. Let me just assure you of one thing. I am not always going to get this right. We are not always going to get this right. Speaking of our elders, our leadership structure, we, speaking of all of us congregationally, are not always going to get this right, but we'll keep coming back to Christ crucified, and he will straighten out the mess, and we'll all become more like him as a result if we'll just keep our head in the game. We make church about ourselves when we start deciding what we like and what we want. I want this out of a worship uh, set. I want this out of a preacher. I want this out of a look and a sanctuary. Man, we had some heat whenever I first put up a, a curtain over in the other building, and it had mirrors on it. Mirrors on a curtain in the sanctuary of the Lord. And they sparkled when the lights hit them, and the light would hit them in the eye. I mean, come on. Is this really, like, that's for real? That's the, people are not going to spend eternity in heaven, and you want to fight with me about that? We've come a long way, and let me just say, Destiny family, I am the most blessed pastor on the planet, in my opinion. This family is so cohesive, unified, absolutely devoted. Number one characteristic we hear from people who come and they are a guest in this church is this church is so warm and friendly. And I want to say thank you. You've come a long way, baby. All of us have. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful for what God's done? 
We're going to keep coming back to that, Christ crucified. It's a sacrificial expression. So here's the thing that you need to understand. Church in our world, in our society today, in our culture today, we make church about ourselves when we view ministry as an avenue of self-fulfillment rather than kingdom advancement. And we do that in the church world that we live in. I mean, these are a lot of temptations that I have to fight that you don't even necessarily even know about. But I have to fight the temptation to do what works. I have to fight the temptation to do what grows the church and works. Because I want to grow the church and have this church and I can tell people how much, now how much my church has grown and I have to fight this temptation to discover my significance and get my ego wrapped up in the stuff that it shouldn't be wrapped up in. So the idea is to get up then and you teach people what well, you really want to be fulfilled, don't you? You really want to find happiness, don't you? Then you just come serve God and find your gifted place and settle into where you can serve, and then you'll really find significance. It's actually more like this. Are you ready to fight the battle that God has anointed you for? Because you're called by God to fight hell. You are called by God to make a difference in your world. It's not going to be easy. It is going to be a fight. But why don't you grow up? Come on, men and women of God. Let's be the men and women of God he's called us to be. And when I'm saying things like this, it can almost come across as, you know, like I'm down on you. I'm, not, I'm talking to me. Grow up, Lawrence. Grow up. So much nonsense stuff becomes so big in my life. I mean, you know, little kids, like little things are big deals. I lost my sucker. I lost my sucker. And I just want to say, you do not need your sucker. Starving kids in Africa, don't get suckers. Be quiet. I mean, we're all capable of this. Let me say the statement again. You filled it in your blank. We make church about ourselves when we view ministry as an avenue of self-fulfillment rather than kingdom advancement. None of this is about our preferences. Jesus died so we could experience and express God's presence and God's power selflessly, sacrificially. Did you hear it? None of this is about our preferences. Jesus didn't die so we could build churches that would accommodate people's preferences so they could feel comfortable where they would, that, that's not what this is. Jesus didn't die so we could merely go to church. Jesus died so we could be dangerous to any community in which we live. He died to make us dangerous. Now, Paul sees all this infancy going on. He doesn't disown these Christians. He doesn't condemn them. He takes them by the hand. He begins to rehearse the found, foundational truths again. Help me out here. Do you believe? Will you behave? How many of you are better at believing than you are at behaving? Can I just see? Exactly. And the reason is because we genuinely believe what we believe, but we love what we love more than we believe what we believe. That's why the Bible says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart, the center seat of my affection, that I might not sin against God, Psalms 119 and 11. Because God doesn't just want our attention that we might believe a certain set of beliefs, which is what a lot of Christian leaders want us to understand and think about today, but it's far more than that. It's more than just trying to rally people together to align themselves to a certain set of beliefs. This is about giving God more than your mere affection, but really devoting to Him, I'm sorry, your attention, but really devoting to him your affection. God wants your attention. Yes, God wants your affection. That's why Jesus came. He said, love God. Love. It's all the commands you've been thinking about. 
All the commands that you've been thinking about in your head, you need to devote yourself to get them in your heart. It's about love. So Paul begins to rehearse this. Here he goes. So 1 Corinthians 1, we start to see some of the factions and so on. And then we see 1 Corinthians 3, where he begins to address them as infants, because that's what he had to do, pick up where they were. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not yet ready. You are worldly. You are acting like mere men. Let me just give you the picture. Worldly, acting like mere men. Whatever mountain comes my way, I treat it just like any other human being on the planet would treat the, the mountain. I get discouraged by it. I have to, you know, really just kind of deal with the mountain. And there's the mountain, and I, I'm, you know, the mountain is just so big. That any giant that comes your way, this is an infant spiritually. Listen, this should greatly alter single people who you date and who you marry. Because let me just tell you something. My girls in their teens have boys who have voiced interest at various times. And I don't merely want to know if the boy's a Christian. You see, I, these are going to one day be my grandkids that I'm going to have, you know, I hope these boys will have a faith and lead the kids in an attitude of faith, but fight because they're empowered, mighty men of God, sons of God. That's, that's what I'm believing. I don't want to just hear, are you a Christian? I want to see your Bible, boy. I want to see where you've been in Scripture. I want to see that you are a maturing man of God. I want to challenge you, every one of us in the room. You've got to understand, if you're going to devote your life to somebody who's going to be helping with your legacy, then you really need somebody who understands the things of God, not somebody who's just going to be swaying around. Ah! Sometimes I just say, ah, I don't even know how to say it. Infants acting like mere men. Here's, fill it in. Infants live a selfish and demanding existence. That's just what they do. We don't get mad at them. They're infants. We expect infants to act like infants. I love to be around a family that has a two-year-old, and the two-year-old starts acting up, and then like the family's embarrassed because the two-year-old's acting up, and, and I'll say something like this. How old is he? How old is she? They'll say, two years old. I said, acting like a two-year-old. I mean, that's just normal for a two-year-old, right? So relax. I mean, we don't, we don't hold somebody, if, they're, if, you know, if you've got an infant, then they're going to act like an infant. But what we don't want to do is leave everybody as an infant because an infant, they're only, they're only, the needs, their needs are the only needs they're aware of in life. There, I said it. An infant, they have needs, and their needs are the only needs that they're aware of in life. And infants participate as long as you keep them happy, right? Like, they'll play or do whatever as long as you keep them happy. I'll bribe you with candy. I'll bribe you with candy. Come on, keep going. Let's do it. And at any time when they're happy, unhappy, they become what we can call today disciples with dirty diapers. How many of you know attitudes can stink? Okay? So if you make them unhappy, they become disciples with dirty diapers, and the stinky attitude starts to permeate, and we're like, oh, I'll give you more candy if you'll just not be upset. I know we asked you to be on the worship team, and you didn't get scheduled, and you got to stay happy. I want you to be happy. No, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. 
How many of you know this preach is great and you shout it great, but when you get offended, somebody just look at your neighbor and say, you might need to change your diaper. We have to stop bickering over petty things that won't amount to anything eternally. We must stop bickering over petty things that won't amount to anything eternally. We, we have to stop it. Paul goes on now from infancy, and he now speaks to parenthood. I love the progression. You just need to go and read the book now with all this in mind, because it really illuminates so much, doesn't it? Speaks from infancy in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, now into the ch- next chapter, chapter 4, to parenthood. He says, verse 15 and 16, even though you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. He's calling them to another level. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now listen to this. I urge you, imitate me. Wow, that's a tough one. Like he says this several times in the Old Testament. I mean, in the New Testament. I keep finding it, and, and Paul says, I want you to act like I la- act. I want you to do the things that you see me do. I want you to become the kind of person that you see me becoming. I'm, does that, like, bother anybody? Like, are you kidding? Somebody could say that? How many of you are not comfortable with that? You don't have to raise your hand. Probably most of us, all of us, maybe. Like, okay, you want to be a good Christian? That's just crazy to me, except we need to understand this. You might want to write it down. It's not anywhere in your notes. It's not mine. You'll never be a great example. You'll never be a great example until you stop trying to be a perfect example. If you actually accomplish becoming a perfect example, you've faked people out, and they're chasing fake, and they'll never be able to accomplish it, and you're no longer a good example. Jesus is the only perfect. So these parents, he's calling them the father. Next blank, parents live sacrificial and loving existence. Remember, infants live a selfish and demanding existence. Now, parents live this sacrificial and loving existence for the sake of those that they care for. And when my, my girls were really young, and uh, you know, I was more of a younger parent just a few years ago after Tracy and I were married. And so here, here we were, and in the middle of the night, I'm needing sleep. And there were instances where in the middle of the night, my daughters were needing to throw up. And I was needing to sleep, and they were needing to throw up. And their need to throw up exceeded my need to sleep because I was the parent, and because I knew that I was going to be the one cleaning up the throw up, so I would deprive myself of sleep to do that. How many of you ever did that for your kids? Anybody here, you've done this. Hold your hand up if you've done this before. You hold out your hands, and you catch the throw up all the way to the place, and you try to get it in the right. Some of you who are single right now, this is birth control. Uh, and so <clears throat> you get the throw up in there, and you, you're, okay, okay, all right. Are you throwing up? <laughs> I, I may need to back off this illustration a little bit. <laughs> and so that's Tracy's response because, like, I learned really fast when the girls first had this experience, like, I'm the dad, and so that's mom's work, right? I mean, that's the way it was in my house. And so I just thought I'd follow suit. And i tell you what happened. Tracy, being the compassionate soul that she is, she just joins right in, man. 
Like, you're not going to throw up without my involvement. Blah. She joined right in. So then I'm having to clean up everybody. So all of a sudden, I had to redefine this. I will be the throw-up guy. And I mean, we figured out ways to catch the, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it alone because I'm hearing some gagging actually starting. But let me just make the point again. Parents live sacrificial and uh, loving existence for the sake of those they care for. Infants, it's all about them. Parents, it's all about others. Are you getting what I'm saying today? Let me just remind you where we're, where we're at with this. Jesus conquers sin when we cooperate with his word, we grow and mature in our relationship with Christ. This call to maturity flows beautifully into chapter 13, the famous 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter. I mean, I just have to tell you, I have fallen in love with God's word on brand new levels in the last year and a half of my life. I can't get enough of a greater understanding of the nature of God as I dig into Scripture. It, it's changing me. It's, I mean, it really is transform. That's what the Bible says it will do, but it's transforming me on so many levels that I couldn't, I couldn't behavior modify enough in those areas. I had to have transformation that took place from my willingness to process this. And let me just, I'm going to give you one final concept, deviate from 1 Corinthians, just to tie this in. Jesus' words in John 12, 24, he said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And it's a really interesting verse. I mean, you take all this in the context of what we've been reading. He goes on, verse 25, the man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, see the greater picture, the bigger things that are involved. If the seed dies, it will produce life. If the seed dies, it will produce life. Will you say that with me? If the seed dies, it will produce life. Just one more time. If the seed dies, it will produce life. There is no question of if there is life in the seed. The only question is, will the seed die? There is no question today, is the life of Christ in the seed? How many of you are the seed of Abraham? There is no question of if there is life in your life. The question is, will you be willing to die? There are two kinds of Christians who have the life of Jesus in them. There are those who have confined and imprisoned the life of Christ, refuse to allow it to escape into their world. And then there are those who through the willing self-death sacrifice of themselves, they've allowed the life of Christ to be released. And the Holy Spirit is trapped in unbelievers who believe. Unbelieving believers. However you want to say it. Self-absorbed People, you understand, the Holy Spirit that has the capacity to change the world. Do you think God started this whole venture thinking, well, we're really not going to make that much of a difference, but we'll give it our best. My son will die. Hopefully a few will be drawn in. That's not the plan. The plan is that you and I 
move beyond spiritual infancy into a place of spiritual maturity where we understand there's something going on within our heart that's a transaction from heaven that releases the heaven in the earth that will transform people's lives. You can carry the presence of God in such a way that people are dramatically impacted by God's presence just because you walk into the room. Do you believe this? This is what Paul's saying. Stop acting like mere men. You are the carriers of the presence of God. The worship team's going to come. And I just want to say, there is something God asks you to do that he cannot do himself. Think about this. There's something God asks you to do that God himself cannot do. You want to know what it is? Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. 2 Timothy 2 says God cannot deny himself. The one thing God asks us to do that he cannot do himself is to deny ourselves so that we might die to ourselves. That means we purpose to be inconvenienced by getting into God's word, dying to ourselves. How many of you find reading your Bible to be uh, inconvenient? I'm waiting. Purposing to be inconvenienced because of the greater eternal purpose of getting into God's Word, to have a transaction in my heart, is dying to myself. I will purpose to be inconvenienced because that's what mature people do. I didn't lay in bed and say, Faith, go throw up in the tub, and when you're finished, clean it up. I'm sleeping. I got up because that's what mature people do. They care for the needs of others. That's what mature people do in the body of Christ. They care for the needs of others. They don't show up and expect everybody to serve them. They show up hungry and eager to serve any way they possibly can. That's just what mature believers do. Everywhere we go, that's the way we live our lives. Every place we go to work, every place we shop, everywhere we go. Come on, mature believers. Purpose to be inconvenienced by getting into God's Word. Purpose to be inconvenienced by spending time in prayer. This Tuesday morning, our, our fourth and final 522 meeting with the guys. We're, we're going to step into this even further and then 6 a.m. prayer. Man, I would invite you if you can be here for 6 a.m. prayer because this is exactly what I'm talking about. Let's be inconvenienced to sacrificial proportion that we might make a difference and die to ourselves purpose to be inconvenienced to get involved in the lives of others. That's what I want to ask you to do. Your action point this week. Turn the page. Turn the page. Spend time listening to God and make a daily difference in the lives of others. Make a daily difference in the lives of others.